think overall what's most promising is you clearly saw him get better each practice, each week, each game during the preseason. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I am your host, Easton Freeze. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Hot Read for, let's see, Monday, September the 5th. Yeah, Labor Day. Labor Day. Happy Labor Day to everybody if you're listening to this on Monday. Hope you're having a great time, having a drink, hanging out with friends, maybe playing some golf. I don't know. Something fun for Labor Day. Not working is the point. Um, Welcome back to the show. It has been since, goodness, just after the draft that we've done an episode, took the whole summer off. If you've been paying attention at all to Broadway over the summer, you know that things have changed significantly around here, but for the better. Um, Of course, if you're not already an insider with Broadway Sports Media, become a Broadway insider today. You can get some incredible features for a ridiculously low price right now. Get your first month for just 99 cents or your first year for $49.99. That's the best deal you're going to get on being a Broadway insider ever. I promise you that. And it's going to get you all kinds of great stuff, insider access to our premium articles, access, uh, early access to a lot of our written content, um, access to Mike Herndon's show, the Mike Herndon show, which starts every single week this NFL season with uh, the first show coming out later this week, which is exciting. That'll be exclusive to our insiders. A lot of things like that. Um, We just did our Broadway Insider Fantasy Draft uh, earlier tonight. We're recording this on Sunday night, which was great. Um, If you want to get in on those kind of fantasy games in the future, you can do that by becoming a fantasy or a Broadway insider, rather. But enough of that. Enough of the promos. We'll talk more about that later. Like I said, it's been a while. Things have changed at Broadway. Things are changing here on the Hot Read podcast. You know James Foster, our guy, No Flex Film, now working with A to Z Sports, which uh, him and I talked about that earlier this summer. He has uh, chosen to step away from the show, which the job that he went and got with A to Z is the perfect job for him. He's super happy, and I'm super happy for him. He's killing it over there. And uh, we still plan on having him on the show on a relatively regular basis. So that's exciting uh, news for the show. We're still going to have him around. You know how great he is on the show. But this show, once again, for the second time now, is is making a change. And I, I genuinely do think it is for the better. Not that James is not fantastic. He is. But this show is going to be um, significantly more highly produced we're going to have a lot more fun with the guests that we have on it's going to be one of the highest variety podcasts you listen to i can guarantee you that it'll be the most highly produced highest variety show in national sports media i really do think so and i think over the coming weeks as we get into the groove here you will agree speaking of new i have to introduce to you a new voice that you're going to be hearing relatively regularly on the show going forward it is JT Runke. He is my producer now on the show. He's going to be around doing a lot of different segments with us, handling our news segments. Um, and JT's uh, one of my best friends in the world who uh, is in sports business, but not really sports media. He wanted to dip his toe into the sports media water. And I knew that he had quite a bit of skill in terms of uh, technical production side of things when it when it comes to uh media and so i said yeah let's give it a, let's give it a try and we've been working on what this new show is going to look like for a couple of couple of weeks now and i'm really excited to bring him on i think you're gonna like him a lot jt welcome to the show man hey easton thanks for uh, having me i'm excited to be here we're excited to have you so we'll talk more to jt in a little bit when we get to the news segment but i want to start today's episode with a little bit of a monologue on harold landry unfortunately if you're a titans fan you know that harold landry tore his ACL and practiced earlier this week. I wrote an article on BroadwaySportsMedia.com titled How the Titans Pick Up Harold Landry's Slack and What Happens If They Don't. Now, Landry, obviously, the most effective and most versatile pass rusher that the Titans have on the team. Losing him for the season, there's no sugarcoating it. It's It's a significant blow for this team. It's a really big deal. For this defense, it changes a lot of what they're going to have to do, and it's really unfortunate when they manage to, as a team, have a really healthy preseason all the way through training camp and the preseason games, and then now right here on the doorstep of week one, they they, well lose first their promising wide receiver five in Racy McMath for the first four at least weeks of the season. 
to a hip issue. And, and now, of course, Harold Landry going down with an ACL. You've heard a lot of talk, surely, on Landry and what his loss means in the last couple of days. This, this news is a couple of days old by now. But I wanted to talk a little bit about what I spoke about in my article, which is how the Titans can move forward from this. And they have a couple of different options. But first, I want to go into what things might look like for this team if nothing changes. If they only replace Harold Landry with mediocre production um, and they, they don't have anywhere anybody else on the defense, anywhere else on the defense, step up to kind of pick up that slack. So I went and looked at the statistics for this defense last season. Um, and the Titans finished in 2021 with 43 total sacks, which landed them within the top 10 for all teams in the NFL. And Landry himself ranked ninth in the league individually with his 12 sacks, which was the most on the team, obviously. Now, if Landry had been replaced by an average pass rusher who managed a relatively average five total sacks on the season, the Titans would have ranked 18th in the league, which is, of course, below league average. The Titans also ranked ninth in the NFL for total pressures and were led by Landry with 43 on his own. Now, if Landry had only produced a relatively average total of 26 pressures on the year, they would have gone from ninth in the league all the way down to 23rd in terms of all teams in the NFL, which, of course, is well below league average. So needless to say, if this team wants to maintain its elite defensive expectations going forward this season, which, of course, the, the expectations have been sky high coming into this season, especially for the front four, it cannot afford to have an average replacement without other starters stepping up. Now, is the replacement for Landry guaranteed to be average? No. Somebody could step up and 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 really step into the spotlight and impress. And, and here in a moment, I'll talk about who that could be. But almost certainly the best case would be somebody coming in and overachieving. But of course, there's really not a scenario in which a backup at this point comes in and produces at the level that Harold Landry can produce. So it is going to take somebody somewhere else on the defense to step up and uh, kind of fill in the gap there. Now, I, I want to say this. There's been a lot of doom and gloom, obviously, surrounding Landry and the, and the loss and what it means to this team. But I think it's gone a bit overboard in some respects. I, I mean, we we have to remember that last season, for not the vast majority of the year, but at, at least three-fourths of it, um, I'll say at least two-thirds, because I'm not looking at it right in front of me, but at least two-thirds of the year. The Titans' ferocious front four, which was the strength of the defense, was at best a front three-and-a-half. I mean, Bud Dupree, coming off of his ACL, lest we forget, missed time at two different points in the year, missing multiple games twice um, at the beginning, towards the beginning of the season and then at the, the middle of the season. And then when he was in the game for the Titans until the very end of the year, he wasn't himself, clearly, in terms of production. He was not the guy that they signed to that massive contract. And so the idea that this team could go without a fantastic elite outside linebacker for the majority of last year and still have a fantastic year rushing the passer. But for some reason this year, they lose one of those guys who, granted, is the best of the four, but that doesn't mean the other three aren't elite talents, which they are. The idea that they can't lose one outside linebacker and have to replace him with with somebody un, you know, in ideal, and suddenly they're going to be just the dregs of the league. That doesn't that doesn't follow. That it's it's a little bit of an overreaction for people to be saying that the loss of Landry means that this front four is suddenly going to be pedestrian. That's that's not going to be the case if last year is any indication. Now, let's get into some of the possibilities for guys who can step in and who can fill in the gap for this significant loss. The first and most obvious answer is Rashad Weaver. He can step into the spotlight. He is going to give, be given the chance to step into the spotlight for this team and, and fill in this gap for Harold Landry. Now, is he going to get the total amount of play that Landry was getting? No, but that's because Harold Landry not only never missed a game in his first four seasons, but he never missed time on the field. He never came off of the field and missed snaps. He was the Iron Man of the team, one of the Iron, Man's, Iron Men of the league 
when it came to snap count per game, he was playing, I think, I believe like an average of 90% of the snaps in every single game, which is just absurd. He, he literally did not come off the field. So Weaver's not going to be doing that. It'll be much more by committee with a guy like him. But, you know, every team has a young player who flashes enough talent to see the field, but rarely does end up seeing the field because of the players that they're behind on the depth chart. Rashawn Weaver was that guy on Tennessee's squad. And much had been made about him in the preseason of both of his first two years in the NFL. And, you know, drafted in the fourth round in 2021, he he looked like a potential steal in the limited action he had last year in preseason. He was one of the, the darlings of the 2021 preseason for the Titans. And then he had, a, you know, a less dramatic, but still, you know, relatively promising start to the year. But then just a couple of games into the season, of course, he had his year cut short by his leg injury. And so moving forward to this year, he's healed. He's in much, much better shape um, in, with his with his recovery. And so he was primed to be playing for the Titans, but really have to sit kind of patiently behind Landry and Dupree and, and was going to struggle to see much playing time once again in his sophomore season. And so that was kind of the story with him coming into this year until Landry went down. And now he is presumably the guy that will be primarily filling his spot. Now, the narrative on him has been turned on its head. Obviously, he's no longer the promising young talent stuck behind the stars. He's the promising young pass rusher who's being given the lofty task of filling Landry's shoes. And and Weaver, a, a, a pit product out of, out of Pittsburgh, he, he's He's done little but impressed so far in Tennessee. So there's not really any reason to think that he's not going to be, you know, a suitable replacement. Looking at his stats in real games last year, not in his preseason, he only played two of them, uh, really one and a half. He got hurt and left the second. 12 total defensive snaps and 34 snaps on special teams. And he just managed two tackles. Um, you know, if you go and look at his snaps, the eye test would show that he he had a better game than that. But still, the the production was was lacking. Um, although it's just his first two games as a rookie, so was that concerning? No. But will he have to produce significantly more than that if he's going to step into the spotlight and be the guy that this team needs to replace Landry? Absolutely. Now, another possibility for this team to fill in the gap would be Bud Dupree returning to form. We talked about this a little bit already. We easily forget how really suspect Bud Dupree was uh, as a part of this ferocious front four for the beginning and middle parts of the season last year. Coming off of his ACL tear in the 2020 season, um, he sustained it, I believe it was late November, may have been early December in 2020. The point was it was late in the year. And so his timeline returning, we knew going into last season, he was going to be a little bit worse for wear, but he did take on the longer end of things to get back up to speed. He really didn't look like himself until the very end of the season when the pass rush really got dominant. And, and that pass rush production corresponded um, with, with his getting up to speed because they finished the year so dominantly with you know nine sacks against the Bengals in, the, in their playoff loss. Now, before Bud Dupree was back to strength, the front four wasn't bad. It was far from uninspiring, but it was his return to form that only multiplied their reign of terror, right? So with a full off season of rest and recovery between him and last season, all indications are that Bud Dupree is poised to make his biggest impact on this Titans team so far. Another option for replacing Landry would be depth replacing him by committee, which I think this will almost certainly be part of the case, if not the case, right? Because like we said, Landry never came off the field, and that's not going to be feasible for any of these replacements. John Robinson, he surprised many of us with his decision to keep seven defensive linemen on the roster when they cut the roster down this past week to 53. Seven defensive linemen. That's a significant share of the roster, and he also kept four outside linebackers, one of which, of course, was Landry. So the Titans' war chest of frontline defenders was chock full of capable players. And, and even more, this somehow didn't include the likes of David and Nenny, who I personally thought would make the roster, but ended up being, you know, the promising 
young rookie UDFA was cut and then signed to the practice squad, though I think in short order they will be bringing him back up to the regular team. Rashad Weaver and Ola Adaini, who you know from last year, J-Rob's last uh, shining, promising UDFA that he he found from nowhere and, and proved that he could forge a path for himself on this team. They're the third and the fourth string outside linebackers, and so now they'll be the second and the third, and and, and Nenny will probably be pulled up and uh, take that fourth spot. And so I expect Weaver and Adaini to probably get the lion's share of their replacement staffs. But also on this list of potential help is defensive lineman Danico Autry and Demarcus Walker. Now, Autry, you probably know if you've watched the Titans. He's one of the more versatile guys on the team. He's part of that ferocious front four, and they did at times move him out to the end and have him rush from the end of the line instead of the interior, and, and he's quite good at it. So the idea that he'll be filling in on occasion or maybe even for the majority, uh, at least at the beginning of the year, with some of these newer guys getting up to speed and, and them gaining the trust of the Titans, coaching staff that is, he may be getting the lion's share of that snap count. And, and in the past, he's done very well with that. So there's no reason to think that he won't be able to fill those shoes uh, admirably. You know, neither Autry nor Walker is really a stand-up outside linebacker. They're, they're both too big for that. That's not their game. But they both have experience playing outside, like I just said with Autry. And the other five defensive linemen on the team, <laughs> there's five more other than them. They were deemed talented enough to be on the active roster. So sliding Autry or Walker to the edge won't really pose a significant personnel issue in terms of depth. With Landry having never missed starts, um, you know, the Titans are going to have a very different game plan in terms of how they're going to replace him with the rotating cast. But luckily for them, they have the bodies to do it. So a committee of Weaver, Adani, Autry, Walker, Anani, those five could serve as the perfect rotational unit of fresh legs to try to replace Landry's production. The fourth and final way that I think this team can replace the production that Landry gave them is the secondary helping to do some of the heavy lifting. Now, the Titans secondary last year, they got the short end of the stick from a narrative perspective. And for the most part, I think that was rightfully so. They were, in fact, the weaker half of Tennessee's defense, and they struggled at times due to the lack of depth. What wasn't entirely fair, however, was the notion that the secondary was being carried along entirely by the efforts of the defensive front. While the pass rush managed to wreak havoc on a regular basis, they were quietly granted the time needed to do so by the secondary. My buddy, former host of this show, James Foster, over at A to Z Film Room, he gave a great visual representation that if you go and you read the article that I wrote, I have the tweet linked in there towards the bottom of the body of the uh, the article. He, he tweeted out a great visual representation of just how much time Tennessee's pass rush had in 2021 to close in on the quarterback. Among the very best in the league they had, I'm looking at the chart here, nearly... 3.75 seconds on average to uh, rush the passer. It was the fifth highest average time last season. And this pass rush, they, they don't give you any reason to think that they'll be, or this secondary rather, don't give you any reason to believe that they'll be any worse. They're adding Caleb Farley and Roger McCreary to the, Roger McCreary to the mix here. So if this young group can reach their impressive potential in their first year playing together, it's going to have a significant positive impact on what the Titans front is capable of. So those are the four ways that I think this team can fill in the void, can pick up the slack for Harold Landry. Again, if you want more on that topic, I wrote a pretty detailed article on it at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Go check it out um, from last week. That's enough monologue for today. Let's get into the news with JT. All right, getting into the news for the week, probably going to start off with the biggest headline of the week, Derrick Henry's contract getting restructured. Um, Titans add on $2 million to his deal this year, uh, which brings it up to $14 million, which makes him the highest paid running back in the league. I mean, for a guy who rushed for over 2,000 yards in 2020 and through eight games in last year's season, he rushed for 937 yards and 10 touchdowns. <laughs> Feels like a fair deal to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, uh, I mean, listen, with 
with NFL contracts with running backs, um, it's a it's a sore subject for some. It's a tricky subject for sure. But this is a, a team that knows that this guy's been their identity for a couple of years now. They want him to continue to be their identity, and they want to take care of him. and And he's gotten the job done, right? So they're they're paying him for having gotten the job done. But more than that, it you know from a financial standpoint, it made sense because they essentially took the money he was due on his quote unquote last year of his deal, uh, which would be 2023. Now again, it was a deal where they were going to have an out after this year if they wanted it, but he did technically have some contract left in 2023. They took all of that little bit of funny money and went ahead and moved it up this year. So his contract will essentially be up after this year for sure. Um, and they'll have to either move on or re-up him after this year. But it creates a little bit of room for them in terms of cap. And, you know, I believe this news that came – yeah, it did. It came out the day of the announcement of Landry having torn his ACL. And so it kind of makes some sense that they would have done this because it creates a little bit of extra cap space for them. And it will allow them to go out and, you know, get somebody at the outside linebacker position if they see somebody on the market who they think they need. Yeah, definitely putting confidence in their dynamic rusher. Also in the news, a little bit um, on the lower side of the totem pole on the news this week, uh, the Titans did claim another outside linebacker in Derek Tuska from the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, he's 25 years old last year, um, only played in two games. He had two sacks and uh, forced fumbles, so not bad, um, but does add a little bit of depth there. Um, could we see a little bit more maybe down the line if none of these guys work out? There are some decent uh, veteran, veteran replacements out there if things um, were to go south. D Ford is out there. Um, former Super Bowl MVP Malcolm Smith is also out there. So there's definitely depth out there, but uh, just a little bit of a depth signing there because of Landry going down. That's right. And, you know, you, you got some, there's a couple of guys out there. The free agent market is... It's not robust at this point, but there's some real talent out there, like you said, D. Ford, Malcolm Smith, um, Jason Pierre Paul is another name that's been tossed around some. Uh, the question with him is is whether he's kind of over the hill at this point, but he's you know got the talent. It's a matter of whether or not he's got any gas left in the tank. Um, Tuska, he had his best year, or sorry, his best game of the year against the Titans last year with I believe two of his only two or three sacks on the year. Um, and so actually I'm looking here he had two sacks I believe they were both against the Titans in that game so it may not be a coincidence that the Titans front office had their eye on this guy as a a potential fill-in I don't know where he'll be in the picking order Um, he doesn't strike me as a guy that will come in and immediately usurp some of the known quantities in you know Rashad Weaver and Ola Adaini I think he certainly will be stepping in behind them, but there's a chance that they get him up to speed and they like what he's got, and maybe he fills out that fourth spot on the active roster. Yeah, looking into other news um, from around Nashville uh, with different sports, Vanderbilt defeated Elon uh, 42-31, get their first uh, Never in doubt, start baby. since Never uh, in 2018. Doubt. <laughs> That's right, the first 2-0 start since 2018, and... Uh, I grew up a Vandy fan. I don't know why, but I did. You know, as a Nashville native, I was never a Tennessee fan, though. I, you know, for, from a college football standpoint, I don't really have any rooting interest. I pull for the SEC. I pull for Tennessee teams, but all kind of lightly. I really just like to watch entertaining football. JT, I know you and I talked about this the other day. Um, college football, you know, we find it entertaining, but you and I kind of agreed that um, there's some really, really bad college football out there. And so we love to watch the, you know, exciting dynamic games, but it it doesn't really hold a candle to the entertainment value, in our eyes at least, of the NFL. Yeah, so they'll play uh, number 22, Wake Forest, next week. Uh, We'll see how they fare next week. Um, We'll see how it goes. I have one more thing to say on Vanderbilt before we move on. Sorry, but i got to say this. I I can't believe I forgot to mention this. I just have to gloat a little bit, first of all. I may or may not have put a little bit of sugar down on Vanderbilt to go over two and a half wins in the season before the year, which is looking like a very nice uh, bet so far. Already already there, just got to get one more win somewhere. They got uh, eight or however many more games they got 
Wake Forest, you know, ranked opponent. It may not be where it comes, but they got they'll squeak one more out somewhere, and it'll be a nice little payday for me. So that's nice. Gotta love what Clark Lee has going with his boys over there. And I and I'll say I watched a decent amount of their game uh, last night. It was since we're recording this on Sunday, and they've got a real offense, man. Their their quarterback, he he was more impressive than I than I thought he would be. Um, they've got some some real weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense is abysmal. It's bad, but um, the the offense can can hang, and so I think they'll be interesting and maybe sneaky competitive with some teams this year you don't expect them to be. Another team on the uh, on the hot streak right now. Nashville SC defeated Austin FC last night, the uh, three to nothing. Uh, they have a four-game win streak right now and are currently the number four seed in the Western Conference standings of the MLS. I mean, all there is to say about Nashville SC right now is Andy Mukhtar is incredible. There is not another player in the league, and I think this will be reflected by the MVP award that he is certain. I will be shocked if he does not win it. Um, he's certainly the most valuable player in the league. As somebody that, you know, I casually watch MLS, but of course I'm the director of published content at Broadway Sports Media, and we are the number one source for Nashville SC coverage in the entire city. Um, our guys, our soccer guys do an incredible job, Ben Wright, Chris Ivey, and all of those guys. So um, if you're any, any into Nashville SC, definitely check them out on BroadwaySportsMedia.com. So, you know, I kind of, whether I like it or not, get some secondhand smoke in terms of Nashville SC. And I've slowly over the last two years become more and more interested and invested in watching more MLS this year than I ever have in my life. It's eminently clear to somebody who, you know, is relatively an outsider that, oh, Haney Mukhtar is the man. He is the only reason that Nashville SC is, um, you know, as competitive right now as they are. He's one of, if not the only reason they are on this four game win streak, which I believe is their first four game win streak in um, in franchise history. I would have to, I'm almost positive I read that somewhere. Um, they've not done, they've done a lot of, of tying and losing here at the, the castle at Geodis Park this season. And, uh, you know, getting a couple of wins in a row here is, is good momentum for them and really at the right time of the year. Is that all we yeah, got, now, JT? Yeah, and I was going to say, there is not a better sporting venue right now, I would say, than Geodis Park right now. I mean, that place is rocking every single uh, home game. It's it really is, incredible. It, it's fantastic. And it's guys, if you're in Nashville, it is a remarkably affordable ticket. Um, there's not a bad seat in that stadium. The way that they designed it, the upper deck is super duper vertical. And so you're high up, but you're not far away distance wise from the pitch. So you have an incredible angle wherever you sit. I, the first game I went to, I was about halfway up at the second level um, behind one of the goals. And I thought like, okay, this $35 ticket, I just wanted to get in the door, just check it out, see what the what the atmosphere was like, what the vibe was like. And I, I got up there and I'm like, this is a remarkable, like this is as good a view as I could have asked for. Truly, it's, it's a fantastic venue. They've got great seats for great prices, with great angles. Like I, I can't say enough about it. And like JT said, it's rocking. All right, it's been JT with the news. Well, moving into the regular season for the Titans, that means that the Malik Willis hype train is going to uh, come down from a boil to a simmer. Obviously, Malik Willis is uh, surprisingly to, to many of us going to be the QB2 for this team. But Ryan Tannehill is, of course, going to be the starter throughout the season if, you know, God forbid he gets injured, that won't be the case. But assuming he stays healthy, he will be the starter. And so the Malik Willis talk is going to die down quite a bit from what it's been for the past month. But right here at the tail end of the Malik Willis hype train, we wanted to hop on for one last ride with a, one of the most fantastic guys that I have ever had on this show. We've had quite a few guests on the show, some higher profile ones uh, as well. And, and none you know more high profile than some of the guys that this guy has worked with Sean McAvoy. He is the quarterback coach doing QB development with Quarterback Takeover, which is an Atlanta-based quarterback development program. He works with uh, some guys you might know, like Quincy Avery from ESPN, I believe. And they do work developing the quarterbacks of the future. These are guys, they're working, they are working with guys who are the future Sunday players that you're going to be rooting for and watching 
in the big leagues and uh, you just don't know it yet, but they know them. And some of these guys they've coached, man, Justin Fields, Malik Willis, of course, um, Jalen Hurts. I mean, the, the list goes on with, with some of these really highly talented guys, um, Trey Lance that, that he is, that he has coached. And so without further ado, let's get into our interview with Sean McAvoy talking about Malik Willis's progression through his preseason debut. All right, Sean. So we're talking about Malik Willis for, you know, as a, as a headline in the Titans world, probably the last time, um, at least as a starting quarterback for the foreseeable future, obviously he's going to be playing back up to Ryan Tannehill, assuming that Ryan stays healthy and you may or may not see him in some special packages, but all in all, he's going to be doing a lot of developing behind the scenes. So I want to talk about his progress that he's made in the past month or so through the preseason process. We've seen him start in three preseason games. We've seen him in camp, plenty of footage uh, out there. And, and so we've got about 45 days worth of progress, very well documented, that I figured you of all people would be the best to speak to about this. So let's start with a baseline here. Just get our listeners up to speed with what you worked with uh, briefly with Malik um, in in his run up to being drafted into the NFL. What's your history with him? Um, just to anybody that may not be familiar with you, uh, what your history with with him and your quarterbacks down there are. Yeah, sure. So so Malik's a guy that I worked with since he was in high school, and uh, obviously got to see him all through college and all the way through the draft prep process. So it's kind of a special one where you get to spend that much time and see someone's development up close for that long of a time. Um, but Quincy Avery, my partner and I, we run quarterback takeover and, you know, train high school colleagues, NFL quarterbacks in the Atlanta area and have handled draft prep now for the last four or five years with, uh, you know, guys like Trey Lance and Jalen Hurts and, you know, back to uh, Dwayne Haskins and obviously Malik. And so that's kind of like a little background of kind of what we do, but, uh, specifically with Malik, it was trying to prepare him for all the things that he hadn't done yet. Being is, he was asked to do scheme-wise, exposed to at Auburn or Liberty, and how different that was going to be with what he was going to be asked to do and exposed to in the NFL. You're just trying to get guys comfortable with what they're going to be asked to do at the next level. So a lot of the pre-draft process was working on footwork from under center, working on full field passing concepts, working through full progressions, getting to his check down, um, you know, and working kind of the mental aspect of learning new playbooks at the NFL level and understanding some different defensive looks you'll see. It was, it was not that he was going to be delivered, you know, to the first day of OTAs as a finished product, but it was right. just hopefully getting him more comfortable with what he was going to be asked to do, hopefully set the foundation for the work he was going to put in during training camp. Well, I know you, you've been out to a couple of practices. You've seen him in person in a Titans uniform. Of course, you've watched him in all three of the preseason games. Um, you know, here in the local media, there's been a lot of talk over the last month about just how much progress he's made and, and how it's been on a faster timeline, I think, than many of us expected. You, you talked just now about a handful of the things that you guys were working on with him pre-draft and uh, through the college experience, getting ready for the NFL. He's been working on a lot of those same things, I'm sure, with his quarterback coaches with the Titans. What are some of the specific things you've seen from him in terms of his development already? I think overall what's most promising is you clearly saw him get better each practice, each week, each game during the preseason, right? Yep. So anytime you're seeing someone's development progress kind of, you know, in the right direction is always a good thing. Um, so I think overall that was the first thing that stood out. Now, it's funny when you talk about some people thinking it, it would happen faster and, you know, I might think it maybe didn't happen as fast as I would have liked. And, you know, it's all about like what your perception is and what you're coming in. So if right. your expectations were low, then you probably thought he developed a lot quicker, you know, from a talent skill set level, there were times and certain things that, you know, I thought he would have picked up a little quicker or, or looked better at earlier. Um, you know, it's just, it's just your frame of reference, if you will. But, you know, certainly like from where we are now, finishing up preseason, getting ready to head into the regular season. You know, I, I definitely think he's kind of found the comfort level within the system. Um, I think he's certainly uh, 
adapted to the coaching styles from Coach Rabel to Coach Downing all the way down to Coach Pat O'Hara of, of them kind of figuring out how each other works best, right? How to take coaching from new coaches and, and from the coaching side, you know, how to best bring along a young quarterback. I think you've certainly seen that hit its sweet spot over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I, like I said, I think I, you're just really, I, I guess I'm, I'm just really, really like, like where they are now. I think you see the promise of what can come. And, and I expect that he just continues to continue to make those strides going forward. Well, and that was the thing that stood out most to me in interacting and speaking with him, seeing him at training camp. His coachability is second to none. He's a guy, and and you know yeah. him, so you know he's maybe the nicest person I've ever met. He's really yeah. just a super nice guy, um, and he he has this this demeanor to him that is just he ha- he exudes the the desire to be coached, and it's not that he's yeah. down on himself or his abilities, but he he's certainly aware of of elements of his game that need to be improved. And he has just this palpable desire to get better and not just figure it out on his own, but to have the coaches around him help him get better and to absorb that information. And, and that's certainly been, I'm sure, what's led to him picking up so much so quickly. Back to the point of, of him progressing quicker than some yeah. thought, you know, we, we knew the athlete, right? It was clear the raw ability of this guy coming in to, to anybody that had watched him play. Um, but then you saw him come in and in those early training camp practices, we saw a guy who the raw skills are all there. The physical traits are all there, but there's a couple of things in terms of his footwork, in terms of his processing that were, you know, reasonably uh, expected to be behind. And, and that's kind of where yep. he was. He was, a, he was more raw in terms of that transition from a much more elementary offensive scheme at Liberty to you know, an NFL caliber offensive scheme. And so there was a lot of talk about how his footwork didn't, wasn't always up to speed with, with his mind and his processing of, of the play. And then there was a lot made about his ability to get through his reads and not bail on pockets. I mean, like you mentioned, you saw that progression game to game. If you think back to the first preseason game against Baltimore, something that he didn't do much in college, but I guess you could chalk it up to just first NFL game jitters he was bailing from more clean pockets than he typically does and he wasn't getting through his progressions but then by the third preseason game it was night and day right you saw a guy who was getting through his reads he was getting the ball to guys on his second or third option um, and he was he was staying put in the pocket not taking off the run after that first look yeah, I mean, I think I think you're always going to fall back on what you feel most comfortable with. And I think early on, especially his first preseason game, he felt most comfortable if he didn't like the early looks he saw to fall back on his athletic ability because he knew that wasn't going to let him down, right? He'd be able to make plays with his feet and, and make a couple guys miss and get mm-hmm. positive yardage. So I, I understand where, you know, maybe I, 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 I they didn't confuse me with the look I got defensively. Then my second read, it was a little cloudy. I didn't quite love it. I didn't want to obviously force it. I didn't want to turn the ball over, right? You're trying to kind of protect the football. There's probably a lot of things going through his head early on. But, hey, this will always bail me out. I think that was probably what was going through oh, his head absolutely. early on. And then clearly, to your point, and, and it goes to all the things you stated, his work ethic. I mean, he's passionate about the game of football. Not everybody is at the NFL level, right? They, they're very good at it. So they love playing it and the money they get, but not everybody loves the process of playing the game. And and Malik's certainly one that does. So he's like, he, he couldn't feel more blessed to like, get to do this for a living that's kind of really it sounds silly, but that's like his mindset, right? Like, Oh my God, really, really he's talking about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like if he can work, he gets to do this for 18 hours, that's his mindset. So that's why he's been able to make the growth quickly, right? So then I think you just saw him getting more comfortable each week. I think the first thing when you see a guy like Malik Willis and comes into the league and you saw what he was asked to do and what he wasn't asked to do at Liberty, the first thing you have to figure out is can he do this? He just hasn't had to or Mm -hmm. can he not do it, right? right? And I think that's the first thing you have to find out. And so sometimes you don't know. Right. And so I think what they found quickly with Malik is like, okay, he can do this. We know that, but now we got to get him more comfortable. We got to get him to be more consistent 
And 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 like I said, from the from the learning piece of the player to the coach, he's got to understand what they want him to do. You know, the reality of that Liberty offense last year was a lot of times, if the first read wasn't open, Malik taking off and making a play with his feet was the second best that option. That was the plan. Concept, right. Right. Like that, we needed him to hold the ball for four seconds, run around. Hopefully, then a receiver could shake free and we could hit a big play. That was literally part of the strategy of that offense, <laughs> right. right? And so Malik's doing what he thought he was, you know, to some extent. And now he's understanding. And I think, like, Coach Rabel all the way down to Coach O'Hara have done such a good job. I can't speak to this enough of, of setting the expectation on what they need him to do, being very specific with what he's focused on each week. Um, and I can't say enough about the way they've developed him. And even the behind-the-scenes stuff that we're not going to talk about, but I know, Right. Of kind of the communication they've had with him about bringing him along where they think he is, um, setting a clear path and clear expectation. It's really, I mean, it's, I've been doing this for a long time in a quarterback development business, and you, it, it, it couldn't be a better model for how to bring a guy along and instill confidence in him along the way. When one specific example of this progress he's made, and I don't know if, if you've seen, uh, this in particular, but one of the things that was was talked about a lot in the media early on in the process, towards the very beginning of training camp, his ability to throw moving to his left across his body was noticeably worse, frankly, than the other two quarterbacks in Titans camp. But then you got videos a week or two ago in one of the final training camp uh, uh, media availabilities of him throwing across his body to the left. And it's like, is that the same guy that yeah. that's, in, it's incredible in just a month, how something as simple as uh, throwing on the move like that can be, can be improved. Yeah, it's funny, you know, and sometimes I, and I saw the same clip and I'm with uh, everybody else and being like, man, that, that didn't look great. Right. right. Um, the, the funny piece of it is like, you know, I could have pulled a clip from two weeks before that one where he looked as fluid as he did. Does that make sense? So mm, sometimes sure. you're just picking out clips in a moment of time. And um, so maybe it was a couple rough reps in the middle of a bunch of better ones. Or or is it truly him getting much better at something different? Right. It doesn't matter. The point is, it's like where he's at now is better than where it was. <laughs> right. Um, but I think sometimes it would be interesting. I, I never asked Malik specifically. But it'd be interesting to think, hey, what was he – what was he trying to do there? Like, what was he focused on? Because like mm. I said, I've been training him since high school. So the number of hours of clips over the last eight years of him going to his left flag escape and looking very fluid. I mean, if you look at his game film at Liberty, I mean, there's highlight plays of him escaping to his left, going on the run all over his game film. So it's like, it wasn't like he couldn't do it and just learned how to do it two weeks ago either, right? Sure, sure. Um, but, uh, but, you know, but sometimes you're, you're trying to do something differently. Maybe there's a coaching point that you got from your quarterback coach and you're trying to be really intentional about focusing on that. And while you're focusing on that, the rest of it can kind of look a little robotic or sloppy or, you know, not quite fluid. Um, sometimes it's just that as well. Um, but yeah, like I said, I never make too big of a deal about, you know, what a couple clips look like or what a couple reps look like. The reality is, and you know, you could almost pull, three different clips from the same exact session, right? And I could put them in an order to make it seem like, look, he was this in the beginning and look how much better I made him at the end. But in reality, <laughs> right, right. like the first clip was actually the best one. You know what I mean? That's gotcha. the one I'm using to make him look, you know what I mean? One of those things. So sometimes just yeah. a point in time. But, uh, but, but once again, I do think that whatever isn't perfect, he's going to put the time in to get it better. And I think that's what you're seeing, right? So, you know, sometimes development's not always linear where sometimes you look really good, you take a little step back and then you shoot three steps forward. Um, but at the end of the day, he's always going to fix whatever needs to be fixed to get to a higher level. One last question before we let you go. Let's talk yeah. about the future, that coaching that he's going to be undergoing um, for the next year, you know, the, the expectation obviously isn't for him to start this season, but there's certainly going to be an opportunity for him after this year to, you know, assume a, a bigger role on this team. What is a, one or two couple things you think he's going to be focused on most for the, the duration of this season with with his coaches? What does he need to do to 
finish polishing his game and and get to a point where he can be a starting caliber NFL quarterback? I mean, I, I think it's it's feeling comfortable in you know the environment he's going to be faced with, and and the, the funny thing about this role and this development, while big picture, I agree with a lot of what you see the future being. The reality is, is that's not the way he'll look at it, right? He Absolutely. looks at it as if I need to be ready if an injury happens or by week three, then they yep. need me to start. So his preparation is along those lines, which is good because then he can just focus on kind of the immediacy and, and continue with the development that he's been doing the last few weeks, right? It's not like when he started OTAs, he was like, well, I just want to, by September 1st, 2023, I want to be ready. Right now, he was working hard every day to get QB starter in the NFL ready as quickly as possible. So in his mindset, that doesn't change. Um, where, you know, he wants to get to the point where he can start. And if that happens week three, then great. And that doesn't mean he needs to start for four more years. You know what I mean? But it's about him just trying to accelerate that development. So I think continuing to um, prepare himself kind of mentally through the course of the week um, on how to watch film, how to break down what we're going to see defensively, um, you know, how to be ready for the defensive looks we're going to get and, and how to change protections to make sure we're ready to go. You know, it's what coaches have talked about, the whole kind of running the operation aspect of it, I think is going to be his main focus. And quite honestly, where he'll lean on both Ryan Tannehill and Logan Woodside the most uh, these first few weeks, you know, is he's never game planned for an NFL game, right? So mm. he'll be doing this for the first time this week, you know, and then the following week, and he's going to see how Ryan prepares and find out how Logan prepares and you know, probably ask them 74 questions a week, you know, just <laughs> trying to pick their brain and, you know, and spend as much extra time as Coach O'Hara has for him, you know, to, 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 to get even extra work in. And, um, and he's just trying to get to the point comfortable. I think on the field, when the whistle blows and it's time to play the game, he's, he's close to where he needs to be, um, at least in being able to, you know, make enough plays to win a football game. I think it's going to be the preparation piece that's the, once again, the new aspect of it. So just like some of the things he was asked to do physically were new, this mental preparation side is going to be newer than he's been prepared for. So just like before, we got to find out, can he do it? Or has he just not done it yet? And then how quickly can he get comfortable with that process? So I think that's it. I mean, it's cool because he doesn't have to worry about the long-term plan. He just has to worry about getting myself ready as quickly as possible. Sean, you're the man. I love having you on. You're so insightful and, and fantastic to speak with. Guys, check him out. Sean McAvoy, quarterback development with quarterback takeover. He's doing an awesome job with the quarterbacks who are going to be playing on Sundays in the future. You don't know him yet, but Sean does, and he's getting them ready. So, Sean, we appreciate it. Have a good one. I appreciate it, brother. All the best. All right, before we get out of here on our first episode back here on a Labor Day Monday, we wanted to have a little fun with a segment talking about the Titans fantasy outlook. Talk about the fantasy outlook for some of these Titans players. Um, this is the time of year, JT, you know, four days now until NFL kickoff, which thank God. Um, we've got, you know, people doing their fantasy drafts this week. I'm sure this past weekend was the most popular time of the year for fantasy drafts, but you know. There's going to be quite a few people that still are going to draft here in these next couple of days. I know you and I, in our in our league of record, we're having our draft. Uh, if you're listening to this on Monday, it's tonight, Monday night, labor labor night. We're called we're referring to it as, and uh, <laughs> we're we're looking forward to that. And I hope um, I, I wish you nothing but the worst in that because my draft's <laughs> going to be fantastic. But let's get we'll into some of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get into some of these Titans players, and uh, we've got a little. We're going to play a little game with it. So explain how we're going to do this. Yeah, so I got a get little game for you here. Um, we're going to play a little bit of higher or lower, basically. Um, okay. What I'm going to do is we're going to go down, uh, give you about four or five of the most relevant offensive players, fantasy wise, for the Titans here. Uh, talk about them just a little bit. Um, kind of give you where they're going right now, and then I'm going to give you. Uh, 
kind of a little estimate. Um, going to play a little bit of Vegas here okay. and give you a, a position number of where they'll be halfway through the season. Okay. Um, and it's going to be your job to tell me if they're going to be higher than that or lower than that. And let's start with none other than Ryan Tannehill. Uh, right now he's going with um, at an ADP of 183 in PPR formats, uh, QB number 21, um, hmm. which is a little bit of a drop off from last year. He actually finished QB number 12 at the end of the season last year in PPR formats. Um, so, you know, right outside that top uh, 10. So for, let's say through week eight, Ryan Tannehill will be QB number 15, higher or lower. That's a tough one. Um, it's certainly him going as QB 21, I think, is pretty ridiculous because people don't realize this. I mean, I'm guessing many of you were surprised to hear JT say that he was QB 12 last year, despite, you know, not having the best season. We're all aware. Um, every year as a Titan, he has managed to be QB 12 or better, I believe. I know he. I know for a fact he's been in the top half of the league um, in terms of fantasy ranking for quarterback, and so 15. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I guess lower. Well, I guess higher. I think. I think he will be better than QB 15. Better yeah. or worse? Better or be worse? Better. Worse. He'll be worse better well, than yeah. QB 15 by the midpoint of the year. I just think you know when you have to factor in with fantasy his rushing ability and his ability to get rushing touchdowns in addition to his passing ability and passing touchdowns. I think when you think back to their efficiency in the passing game last year for a lot of the year, not every game, but you know given the fact that they were missing their star talent for the majority of the year, I'm not sure how it gets much worse than that in terms of efficiency for fantasy points. So I'll say he's a little bit better than that. That's fair. I agree with you there. Uh, going on to the next one, let's go to Derrick Henry, who's got an average ADP of a seven right now, which depending on uh, what kind of league, this is in PPR formats, um, depending on what your draft board looks like, what um, fantasy site you're using, um, he's going as RB5. It really just depends if you okay. value Najee Harris over him or someone like a Dalvin Cook. Yep. Um, he's going as RB5 right now clearly um, cemented in that first round through week eight, I'll set the line at 1.5. Will he be better or worse? Oh, man. Well, to say he'll be better will mean he is... It will mean there's nobody else in the league better than him. I'll say... I'll say he's... I'll say he's worse. Um, I would say through the midpoint of the season, it would not shock me at all if he is the league leader in total yards. It certainly wouldn't shock me at all if he's the league leader in total carries. But I question his share of the touchdowns this year. You know, being at Titans camp the past couple of weeks, uh, months at this point, they have focused every single day, at least that I was there and that I've heard of, Every single day at camp, they spent a significant portion working on the red zone passing game. I think this team is going to take a bit of an offensive philosophical shift, and part of that is going to literally just be what they're capable of doing given their, their weapons and their offensive line situation. I, I think they're going to be passing the ball a, a decent amount more in the red zone. I, You know, last year, it really was, once you get in a certain certain area they were just going to pound the rock and try to get it in and that's still the identity of this team but i do think that there'll, there'll be some guys some skill position guys austin hooper is one um kyle phillips is another who come to mind immediately i think that they'll be getting more share of the touches in the red zone and that might mean that derrick henry his fantasy value while still high i still if the over under was you know running back three and a half i may say the over just because of the number of carries he's going to get um but i'll say i'll say he's worse he, i'll say through the midpoint of the season he is not the best running back in yeah and by worse there i mean i i would be shocked if he's outside of the top five conversation through Agreed. halfway through the season moving on robert woods at an adp right outside the top 100 going at 101 in full this ppr format criminal uh, wide receiver number 41 right now. Um, 
through halfway through the season, wide receiver or wide receiver number 25. So that's in the top 25 right mm-hmm. there. Not quite a wide receiver two, but a decent flex play. Yeah, so at him going right now in the in the 100s, wide receiver 41. I mean, for him to be going wide receiver 41 means that fantasy the fantasy hive mind believes that not only is he not a wide receiver one, but that there are four or no, great math, Easton, eight other wide receiver twos in the league. They're going to be better than him. Him being a guy who's probably going to, at the, at the very least, at the beginning of the season, be the wide receiver one for this team. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. If you get Robert Woods in your fantasy draft in the 100s, I think that that is probably going to be the highest value pick maybe in your entire draft um especially at the beginning of the year he's going to be fantastic and you know if if you're not super high on him year long because you think some of the rookies are going to step up and maybe get some more of that target share as they build trust and rapport with the team guess what draft him let him be awesome for the first month and then sell high come on people think smarter work smarter not harder um but to the point of the question 25 was the uh, over-under? Yes. I will say that through week eight, I'll say through week eight, he's better than 25, just because I think here at the beginning of the season, he may he may be doing better fantasy-wise than he will through the back half of the season. So I'll say he, he may be in the high teens in the first half of the season in terms of fantasy wide receivers. Some people might call that a little bold, but I respect it. I respect it. Moving okay. on. Um Traylon Burks, new kid in town, uh, ADP of 123 right now. Not super far behind Robert Woods as the wide receiver number 44 in full PPR. Uh, through halfway through the season, higher or lower than wide receiver number 32. So this one makes a little bit more sense. Um, you know, Burks has had an interesting offseason to say the least. Um, I think that the the consensus on him is lower than is fair, but what I think is fair is certainly more of a projection than it is with a guy like Robert Woods. So um, as of right now, what we tangibly know to be true, there's a lot shaky on Traylon Burks, and there's a chance that for the first half of the season, he's kind of absent. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case. It's certainly not like it was in the preseason, and here's why. The routes that he was running in the preseason the routes that when you go back and watch the tape, the kind of routes that not only was he open a lot of the time and just wasn't targeted, it's the kind of routes that Ryan Tannehill as a Titan historically has loved, has eaten up. The kind of routes that AJ Brown used to run all the time. It's the crosser routes, it's the short and intermediate routes across the middle of the field, the kind of routes that set you up for fantastic yards after the catch opportunities, the kind of thing that a guy like Traylon Burks is known for and like this team is going to want to set him up to do. There was a report that came, it wasn't a report, it was a story rather, I believe, a couple of days ago, and I wish I had it pulled up so I could give credit to, to this person, but I retweeted it so you can go find it on, on my Twitter. Um, our buddy Mike Herndon actually brought it up and it was talking about um, some things that this writer had heard from insiders at different camps around the league. And one of the things that this guy had been hearing from NFL, uh, from from Titans rather, brass, Titans coaches, um, was that they have big plans for Traylon Burks in terms of his share of snaps and share of catches and targets his his role in this offense they're planning for it to be significant and you know if you if you put it on paper you might think well okay maybe we're being dumb about this of course his role is going to be significant he's that coming in you know he's a first round rookie wide receiver who's got high hopes in a wide receiver room that in terms of depth doesn't have it um so i just think that what he is like in the regular season. Is he going to be Jamar Chase from last year? Mr. I can't catch in the preseason and then I'm one of the best receivers in the entire league already? No. But could this be a Jamar Chase-esque situation where a guy has a really bumpy preseason and then he comes in 
gets into rhythm with the real offense against real defenses and is way, way better than you think. Absolutely. So I've, I've now, I've now ranted so long that I've forgotten the number. What was the number you gave me? JT? <laughs> I gave you 32, 32 by week eight. I will say he is worse than 32, but that is because I think that there's a decent chance it takes time for him to get up to speed for the same reason that I think Robert Woods through eight weeks will be better in his positional ranking than he will by the end of the year. I think Traylon Burks through eight weeks will be worse than he ultimately ends up finishing because I think that he's going to only get stronger as the year goes on. Yeah, definitely maybe a sell high and buy low respectively um, candidates there. Um, And definitely in the fantasy world, Traylon Burks kind of seems to just kind of get lost in all of it. I know we talk a lot about, or at least I've heard a lot of people talk about um, people like Chris Olave and Drake Mm -hmm. London and a little bit of Garrett Wilson, although the Zach Wilson in- injury kind of muddles that a little bit. But- uh, hang on, but he's got he's got Q- NFL QB uh, starting caliber Super Bowl MVP Joe Flacco to throw. Joe down. Flacco. So, and, arguably uh, an upgrade, yeah. it, depending on who you ask. And Mike White waiting in the wings. Don't forget about that one. He, almost, um, almost season MVP Mike White for one week last year, right? Yeah, but it just kind of seems like he gets lost there um, yeah. a little bit in the conversation. So we'll see how he does. Moving on. Um, one more, new, last one? Yeah, last one, and then I got a little tricky one up my sleeve here. Oh, do you? Um, okay. So Austin Hooper, new guy in town. Yep. Um, as well, ADP of 200, so going outside of most drafts right now. The waiver the wire tight guy. end, yep. tight end number 25. Um, this one, this where I give you this number might tell you how I'm feeling about him. Mm-hmm. Throughout... Uh, through the halfway through the season, uh, he higher or lower than tight end 15. Mm-hmm. So right now he's tight end 25 overall. You and, and me both are anticipating that value increasing. Like I mentioned earlier in the episode, I've been really impressed with him in his time at camp and what I've seen from him in camp. Every single day that I was there towards the end of camp, the whole team would be doing um, some team drills and the quarterbacks would be on the, the other field than the rest of the team doing work, throwing to throwing to spots in the end zone, getting some red zone work. And every single day that I was there, Austin Hooper was the only skill position guy that would go with them and and take snaps, catching from those guys into the end zone. That's kind of a little microcosm of what I've seen from him overall at camp, what I've heard about him overall from camp. He's a guy that I think his yards and his catches may be, may not be the most impressive in terms of tight ends, but in the red zone, I think he's going to be a kind of a, a security blanket for Ryan Tannehill in a lot of situations. And I think he's a guy that sneaky could be one of the better fantasy tight ends in the league. So I'll say even better than tight end 15 by the midpoint of the season. I think that with the tight end position, man, it's like, it's kind of like running back where there's a significant drop off after the first couple of guys. And I think that Hooper's the kind of guy that might just have five touchdowns through eight games and could really be helping out somebody's fantasy roster. All right, who's the sneaky guy you got up your sleeve? I was just gonna say before that, he's sneaky pickup and I'm kind of equating him right now to kind of what we saw out of Dawson Knox last year being that Uh, kind of tight end end zone security blanket Mm -hmm. kind of almost seems like he's gonna fill in that same role um, in an offense that will be looking to that towards the uh, towards the red zone when they get down there all right last one Um, kind of skipped over this in the news section but something that you probably might have been asking, are they going to talk about this? We'll put it in right here. Josh Gordon was signed <laughs> to the practice squad That's this right. week. That's right. Um, not going to be a ADP question, but just a yes or no. Josh Gordon will have at least one fantasy-relevant week this season. No. No, he will not. <laughs> um, and if he does, this team is this team's hurting in the wide receiver department. Listen, I... I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend to you, our our precious viewers, our precious listeners, that I am super up to speed on Josh Gordon's ability to play football. But I do know this. 
in his past, and Paul Gaharski tweeted this this statistic out earlier this week. I'm, I've seen it elsewhere as well. I don't have it up in front of me. I don't care enough to pull it up, to be honest with you. But it's like the last 168 games that the teams that he's played for have played. He's played in less than half of them. Okay? He's played in less than 80 of those games. So certainly a good bit of that has to do with his multiple suspensions from the league that, you know, in retrospect seem not the most fair based on where we are now in this country in terms of the legality of, uh, you know, marijuana. But at the time, you know, he broke the rules that he knew were the rules and he knew it was going to happen to him. So, you know, certainly I don't think it's unfair to say kind of a judgment question there. But uh, besides that, just assuming he's, you know, you know, a guy that's got it together and I'm, I'm not doubting that he does. He's getting old, man, and he's not playing in a lot of games. And there's a reason that Kansas City, who has a wide receiver room that is the worst that Kansas City has had in a while, not bad, granted, but in terms of depth, not incredible. There's a reason that he didn't make that squad. So, you know, this Titans wide receiver room is significantly worse than that in terms of depth. Is there a chance that here at the beginning of the season, he's the wide receiver five or six that gets called up on game days and he gets up to speed quickly and has a couple of catches? It's possible. It is. But if he's having if he's having fantasy relevant weeks, I'll just say this then. Either it's a miracle, which listen, it'd be epic, it'd be hilarious if Josh Gordon's suddenly great again for this Titans team out of nowhere. It'd be funny, it really would, and it'd be great for Titans fans. But the more likely scenario is if he's fantasy relevant, this team is struggling in terms of their pass catchers um, and their their weapons in the passing game. So. I'll say no, and Titans fans, I think it would be wise for you to hope no as well. All right, that's all we've got for our Fantasy Outlook segment, and that's the last segment we have today. A bit of a longer episode, but we had to make up for all the time we missed over the summer, guys. We missed a ton of time. We gave you an extra bonus episode with a really fantastic interview with Sean McAvoy. JT, once again, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. Excited to go on this ride this season. And guys, I know that many of you were sad to see us go over the summer. But we are back, and I promise it's not a tease this time. We are back, and we're back for good. We'll be doing shows every single week all the way through I, – I, I venture to say all the way through the draft, but I'll say for certainty on our current schedule at the very least through to the Super Bowl, we will be doing two episodes every single week unless we decide down the road to add more. But for now, two episodes a week, Mondays and Fridays, every Monday and Friday morning you can catch the show. We'll be having on a bunch of really fantastic guests that you're going to want to hear. We're doing a lot more in terms of social media and all of that. It's it's all part of the the new wave here at Broadway Sports Media, the new um, really just exciting stuff we're doing here in the Nashville market. So once again, I'm going to plug it. If you have not become a Broadway insider, go ahead and go do that now. You can check out all of our fantastic articles that are behind the paywall. You're going to want to become an insider because – Arguably the most beloved guy covering the Titans in the city of Nashville, Mike Herndon. He is doing a show exclusively with Broadway Sports Media that is exclusive to Broadway insiders. For free, people are going to get a little taste of the show here at the beginning. But to get the full show, you have to be an insider to see it all behind the paywall. I'll be executive producing that show. I'll be kind of hosting and, and guiding him along. But it's going to be his show. He's going to be doing all of the talking for the most part. And um, I'm excited. We're excited to have him. It's going to be a great show. It's going to be a great product. You're going to want to listen to it. That's all for today. Enjoy the rest of your Labor Day. We'll talk to you on Friday. Mm-hmm.